0: Alrighty, we'll pass it over to Jerry. <laughs> Am I on? Am I on? Is this work? Is this thing working? <laughs> good morning, everybody! And good morning, Jesus. So great to have you here. You're always here. It's amazing. We love you so much. We want to increase our love for you as we recognize how much you love us. Which is huge. Which is huge. It is the ticket to everything. So Lord, thanks for being here, thanks for uh, being who you are, and pray that you would illuminate minds and hearts and eyes, the eyes of our hearts, uh, that we would see your love more and more deeply. Thanks for this opportunity, Jesus. Thank you. There's one person in this room uh, who is going to get the most out of the material that I shared with you last week and I'm sharing with you this week. And who is that person? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Me. <clears throat> the, uh, the best way, to, and this is, this is an encouragement for, for any of you who uh, have the opportunity, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Uh, and so, uh, and there is actually a fair amount of uh, discussion and research upon how successful this sort of uh, talk and talk sort of thing is. It's one of the, the major issues coming in the whole concept of, of education. How effective is the whole thing of, of Ddaque, you know, the the lecture sort of mentality. And there are a lot of research that's coming to say that it's not really all that effective. So more than likely, the person walking out of the door who will gain more from the last two days, last two weeks, last Sunday is me. So thank you for the opportunity for me to learn this stuff. Really, really appreciate it. Now, how many of you were here last week? And, and you came back? That's amazing! You're nuts! Or you're masochistic. One of the two. I'm not sure which. Well, I did not uh, create any uh, PowerPoint uh, this week, uh, partly because I didn't have faith that it was going to work. <laughs> So, but I did put everything down on the, on the outline, so you really do want to make sure you have a copy of the outline so you can follow along. There's some things in there that you're going to want to read, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> uh, if, uh, and I think there are some extra copies of last week's outline as well. And, and again, the, kind of the whole point of the outline is as a reminder that as the Holy Spirit brings some of these things to mind, you can use this as, as, a, as a reminder of, oh yeah, you know, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me about? All right, so... Uh, spend a little. B- so, how many of you were not here? Okay, so there are a few of you. Okay, so great. Gives me a good excuse to review. Excellent. Review is a good thing. Uh, two big questions. That was the. That's kind of the the subject of last week and this week. Two big questions. First big question is: Why are we, why are we here? Why are we here? And the sub question is: where are, where are we going? And the second big question is. How do we get there? And then the, the other sub-question sub is... How should we live? Should we live? Oh, guys, you guys can read. That's awesome. Bravo. Good, good work. Good work. And the proof texts that I shared with you last week, and we'll read these again. Uh, the first one is 1 John 3.1. See what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now... And what we will be has yet been revealed. We know that whatever, whenever it is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope focused on him, on him purifies himself, just as Jesus is pure. And the second proof text was Jude one one from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who were called, wrapped in the love of God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So the point I made from these three scriptures, which is kind of the jumping off point, is that there are, there are three main things. First of all, both scriptures speak about a location, a current location. We are children, and we are called. So that's part of our identity. That's part of who we are. We are children and we're called. The second thing was that it speaks about a destination. It speaks about something beyond where we are today. That meaning that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and kept for Jesus Christ. So who we, who we will be is yet to be revealed and kept there's something to that that speaks about our identity not today but in the future and the third thing which both of these verses speak very specifically about is that Jesus loves us and and that's probably the biggest thing of of anything and everything now what we talked about last week was that was how these three fit together and the basic concept is is that if we have some understanding of where we're going, it helps us get there. If we have some understanding of the, pr- of, of the destination, it makes the getting there a little bit more easy. Uh, again, imagine if you're, you're said, you said to your family, hey kids, we're going to get in the car and drive for 24 hours straight. You ready? And their response is, are you out of your mind? However, if you were to say to them, hey kids, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to spend a week at Disney World. Yay, that's amazing. And they don't even ask, well, how are we getting there? Or how long will it take? Or will there be bathrooms? Blah, 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 blah. Because they're willing, they're going to be much more willing to spend those 24, 26 hours in the car if they know once they get there, they're going to experience (laughs) Disney World. Uh, And none of us have ever really gotten in the car and said, I'm going on a trip. I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm going. And then just get in the car and drive. And you just, oh, that looks like a good road. Oh, well, that looks like a good road. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, we wouldn't get very far. Now, some motorcyclists have done that, but that's a different story. <laughs> Isn't that right, Greg? Yeah, you bet. That's a different story, though. That is the pleasure in the, in the, in the process. So uh, part of then what we talked about yesterday was the whole concept of, of of then what is our destination? If we see our destination, it makes it so much easier. And I had mentioned to you last week, we talked about the whole concept of heaven, and I mentioned about this book, the Randy Elkhorn book. Uh, and but then I also suggested that this is our concept of heaven is so sketchy that it's hard to come up with a good idea of what our uh, what our destination is. And, and Alcorn does really a very good job of, of fleshing it out. It's a great book. You should read it. It's, a, it's, a very, it's an enjoyable read. It's an easy read. Uh, it, does, it does a great job. But there's more than that. and, and then I, So I threw you three quotes from other writers, and then those are on the notes then as well. Because I think that they're, they're important, and they, and they kind of help give us a, a direction. C.S. Lewis makes this comment in a letter to Sheldon Vonneken in, in a book called Severe Mercy. I'm pretty sure eternal life doesn't mean this widthless line of moments endlessly prolonged, but getting off into that, getting off that line into its plane or even its solid. So again, if we imagine that our, our life is a series of dots, a series of points in time that moves from this point into this point into this point, and it is, it is an infinite line because we are, we are immortal in the sense that we will never die. Who we are, our identity will never, will never, uh, expire. It becomes an issue of sequential points down, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. That has a sense of, of infinitude. But his suggestion is not only is it just that line, but getting off of that line into the plane and the infinite lines and infinite infinite number of points within that line, and then possibly even going into the not just that line, that plane, but then also the solid, which which and you think about it it really kind of torques your mind it's really hard to wrap your head around that kind of concept of eternity that whereas we're merely in this just this is all we know but the idea of of in eternity infinitude in many different ways it kind of it's it's a good it's a good it's relatively impossible for us to wrap our heads around it but to try i think is a good is a good thing to do and the other the other quote was from uh uh, uh from Billheimer uh, this is from his eternal, uh, eternal Companion book. The primary purpose of the universe from all eternity is the production and preparation of the eternal companion for the son called the bride, the lamb's wife. We know that, that we are to be part of that. And when you think about the biggest things, the biggest things, eternity and universe, you can't get much bigger than that, Really? Eternity and universe; those are the concepts are about as big as anything. And this writer suggests that the whole purpose of both of those is for the development of us. So that gives us another interesting concept of oh my, uh, fluffy white cloud, uh, wings, harp. Maybe not. Maybe more than that. Maybe maybe more than that. Yeah. Amen, amen. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. There will be eternal worship, but I think we will have an, a, a very enhanced concept of what worship is. So, And then the, and then the third thing I suggested last, last week uh, is, is my favorite. My favorite quote from Dallas Willard uh, from his Divine Conspiracy. The intention of God is that we should each become the kind of person whom he can set free in his universe, empowered to do what we want. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think of a lot of things I'd like to do. And in my, in my fallen state, in my infinitesimally small mind, I can think of a lot of things I'd like to do if I had power and ultimate power. I mean, so, so the idea of being in a place, and a position where I say, God says to me, or I say to God, What should I do today? And res- the Lord's response is, well, What do you want to do? <laughs> I like, think, Wow, that's amazing! What an incredible amount of freedom. What an incredible amount of freedom. So those three things, combined with the concept of heaven, I think maybe begins to expand a bit more of our destination. And that's kind of the whole point. Now, we, we talked about how to, how to fill in some of those holes in Scripture. talked about the concept that, that the Scriptures talk about, that we are designed to rule and to reign. I, I didn't put those those uh, verses on there again, but they are on the on the other one. And it's very clear that that's part of who we are. Uh, It's also pretty clear that that humans don't do that very well. We have not had a history of being very good rulers and reigners. Uh, That in many ways, the whole adage of, you've you've heard the phrase, you know, um, power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts. Uh, Willard has an interesting stretch on that which I think is really accurate because it speaks about what's in the, what's in the uh, um, unsanctified human heart and he puts it this way power makes corruption visible and absolute power makes corruption absolutely visible because the fact of the matter is there is an element of corruption in our hearts and as we, as we walk through the process of justification and sanctification that kind of thing and, and so I think that that's just true. We look around and we see people who got, uh, men and women who have had the uh, opportunity of ultimate power, and they've really they've really blown it. But the fact of the matter is is that that is what we're designed for. And Paul made the point quite uh, to the Corinthians. Shame. He says to them, as they were trying to, as they were wanting, going to lawyers and and using unredeemed individuals to decide their cases. He says to them, dudes. You idiots, don't you understand that at some point in time, you're going to have to make choices about things of the entire world. Nations against nations. You're going to to judge nations. Guess what? Not only just nations, but you're going to be judging angels. Here's this big angel. Look at his life. Her life, its life, whatever. And make a judgment upon its life. That's going to be your job. And he actually made those comments to shame them. But we can look at those comments and say, my word, that's part of our future. That's part of our destiny. That's part of the destination. I don't know about you, but that's really scary. It's really scary to me. But I do not think, because the kingdom of God is not a democracy, it's not a a committee, I don't think it's going to be a situation where we can turn to somebody else and say, well, what do you think? I think the Lord will say to us, you judge that angel now. And our response is, I don't know. So you get the point. Um, We also talked about the fact that we are designed not only to rule and reign, but also designed to be sons and daughters. We're we're adopted, our our job is to take over the family business, and of course the family business is what? The kingdom of God, which is how big? What's the definition of the kingdom of God? What's the definition of the kingdom of God? Wherever God's rule is effective, right? Wherever God's rule is effective. Wherever God's rule and power and authority is effective. So, how big is the kingdom of God? How big is your God? If your God's small, then you have a concept, pretty small concept of the kingdom. My God happens to be omnipotent, omniscient, most powerful thing. He controls everything. He is everything. He is everything. So that means that anything that is anything that is anything that anyone ever finds out at any point in time, that's included in the kingdom of God. Right? Right? That's my legacy. My legacy. That's my legacy because that's the family business. That's what I'm designed to be involved in. I have no idea how. But that's the destination. That's the Disney world. That's the Disney world. Okay, so... With all of that in mind, one of the things we didn't get to last week was the concept of that this is what Paul and other writers call the hope of our calling. The word hope is used a lot when talking about seeing forward and seeing ahead. We have this anchor for our soul, the hope of our calling, that sort of thing. <clears throat> so, we're going to buy that as the destination, the Disney world. All right, now we get to uh, the, the, what we have entitled for today, and that is, if that is is the case... Then the question is, how how does it affect our life here? If this is the case, then how should we live? Well, we have to first ask the question, before we answer that, is does our life here affect our life there? Does what we do here affect our life there? Fair question, fair question. Well, I think it's fair to actually unpack that a little bit and get to the bottom of it, just as opposed to saying, well, yeah, of course. Well, how do we know? What does the world say? Well, the world would say these sorts of things. Buddhists would say, yes, good, bad, karma. Uh, Just about every religion has some sort of concept of afterlife. So in many ways, that is true. Uh, Hollywood and Roman generals would say, yes, good old, remember Gladiator, the movie Gladiator, great movie. Uh, The the, uh, General Maximus, what did he say to his troops before he led them off to their deaths? What we do here echoes into eternity. I think there's some truth to that. I think that's kingdom of God even though it came out of, a, of a, a Roman soldier. And Hollywood, you know? It's amazing where you can find truth these days. <laughs> but, that's, so that answers part of the question, but what about Jesus? What would Jesus say about that? And, and I don't think we have to go very far to be able to get an answer to that question. How about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and, 5 and 6? Uh, there they are. They're all written down there, and you notice the word "reward" is in is in uh, little bold letters. There, first one: rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Uh, how about Matthew uh, six four? So that your giving is in secret, and the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, Blah blah blah. You get the idea. The last one's uh, six eighteen. So that your fasting will be known as by men, by the by your fathers in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then finally, Re- Revelations twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So I think it's safe to say, safe to conclude that yes, what we do here affects what we do there. You see. Now, this all begins to come into position. If that's my destiny, if, if that's the the Disney world, the, if, if this concept of eternity is more than just wings on my back and a little cloud and a harp, but it is, it is ruling and reigning and being involved in something larger than I could possibly imagine right now, then I ask the question, well, okay, and then what I do today affects that. Well, I, I, I want to prepare myself, right? I want to do what's necessary in order to be best prepared. And um, our two other writers, Billheimer and Willard, would agree with that. I, I didn't read the second half of the quote intentionally, and I will read it now. <clears throat> and this is Billheimer's response Since she is to share in the throne of the universe with her delight, divine lover and Lord, privileged to judge the world with him, she must be trained, educated, and prepared for her role. Willer's response, but character, the inner directedness of self, must develop to the point where that is possible, where the that is being being free to do whatever we want to do. That that amazing freedom must be developed to the point where that is possible. So, now we come down to the issue, okay... <clears throat> what does that mean? Where am I coming from? And I'd like to suggest that we have three sort of, and I'm sure there are many, many more, but three sort of ways that we look at our lives. And the first way we look at our life is uh, what Willard calls the gospel of sin management, or my life revolves around how I deal with this thing called sin. Um, <clears throat> most of us attempt to do the right thing, Right? You know, we go to church every Sunday, you know, we make sure we tithe, you know, we make sure we pray, whatever that means. You know, the old adage, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with the girls that do, you know, sort of thing. We try to do the right, the right thing. And our lives are spent, the amount of energy of our life is spent just trying to, you know, not screw up. Right? Right? Been there, done, I, I have that t-shirt, by the way. I'm not wearing it today, but I do have that t-shirt. I'd like to suggest to you that that is not necessarily what Jesus meant when he said, I've, I've come to give you life and to give it to you super abundantly. I don't think he was necessarily saying that he's just given us a way that we just kind of figure out so we, don't, we try not to sin or sin as little as, much as possible. Another way of looking at our life is just the opposite side of the coin, and and. You know this. This is what it is. Uh, it's the the gospel of it doesn't matter. Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, and you know I can sin as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. You know it's it's okay. I, you know it, it's not a big deal because I can always I can always ask for forgiveness. And you know you do that. You know you have that idea in the back of your head. Sorry, how do I know that? Because I do. Yes, yes, that's a pretty common way of looking at things. Um, there, was a, there was a heretical movement in the 11th to 12th century uh, called Catharism, which had a really interesting way of looking at that. They perceived that the, 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 everything you could see was really, really came from the devil. This is kind of a really weird offshoot of this. Everything you could see, including your physical body, came from the devil. So consequently, because your body was evil, it came from the devil. It doesn't matter what you do with it because everything you do is evil. What a deal! Because everything I do is evil. It doesn't matter what I do. Wow, does that sound like like a bunch of guys made that up? And they had something called a consolatum. Is at the end of your life, if you were lucky enough to know when you were when you were dead, you would you would go through this process and you'd be absolved of all your sins, and then and then you were clean and cool. But then you were encouraged to die as soon as you possibly could because you didn't want to screw it up. You know, sort of. it's kind of weird. Anyway, that's Catherine. It's really an interesting interesting heresy. You might find that interesting. Uh, but the scriptures do speak, I think, a little bit against that whole concept. Second Peter, Second Peter one, for example. Uh, his divine power is granted to us. All things pertain to life and godliness. What a great verse. If This isn't on there, and I, I should have put it on there. My apologies. Uh, so that through them we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, the whole concept of developing divine nature, which is very much like we're talking about this morning, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfast with godliness, godliness with reflection. The point here is that it takes effort. Peter is suggesting make every effort. And then he says at the end, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then it will render you neither ineffective nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we can suggest, we can can glean from that that, yes, the Scriptures actually speak about the fact that it takes effort, and that it's not just fire insurance. It's not just fire insurance. But now I'm going to suggest that there is a third way, and I've called that my gospel. Paul uses this term three times, and those are in in your notes. He uses it in Romans twice and in 2 Timothy. And he talks about this ownership of the gospel. Whereas there's a portion of the gospel that is his. That something was his personally. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is true for all of us. That we have an aspect of the gospel we call my gospel. And I will use this story to elaborate on that. Do you remember at the end of the book of John, this is after Jesus was uh, resurrected, and uh, the the disciples were getting tired, or, well, that's one way of looking at it. And they decided they were going to go fishing. Peter said, I'm going to go out to fish. And John and a few others said, yeah, we're going to come with you. And there are a lot of different people, scholars, who, who think that, that they may have actually been to the point of just so frustrated with their lives. It was, this was before Pentecost, and they were just going to give up on the whole thing. We're going to go back to our old, our old jobs. I'm going to go back to fish. So they go out fishing. Nothing happened that night. They didn't get any fish. Uh, in the morning, uh, Jesus winds up on the shore yells out to them, hey children, hey boys, have you caught any fish? Their response is, haven't caught a thing. He says, well, throw your nets on the other side. Of course, they pull out this huge load. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter strips off his clothes, dives into the water, and and swims to him. The rest of them pull the boat along, uh, and when they get to the shore, uh, Jesus is there cooking, uh, cooking something, and they've got some things going. Interestingly enough, you get the impression that Jesus doesn't look exactly like they're used to him seeing, but they know it's him. I find that just amazing I, don't, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that because no one asks him are you are you the Lord I mean you'd think that you know if it, oh this is greg I know greg are are you greg you know sort of thing so obviously he must look a little different so and uh, so they're they're eating and, and Jesus is talking to Peter about all these various things, feed my lambs, and he says to, he says to peter. And he talks begins talking to him about how what he did when he was young and what's going to happen when he's old. That someone will will dress you where you don't want you know where you don't want to get dressed. You'll get your arms will be bound and you will they will take you places you don't want to go. And Peter's kind of thinking, well, this kind of sucks. <laughs> you know what's going to happen here. And he says to he says to Jesus, well, how about that guy speaking about John? And Jesus' response was, "What's that to you? You follow." Now, to me, that sp- says huge amounts of information. Now, he did make some sort of comment about, what if, what if I want him to live forever? you know, But that was kind of taken in a weird way. But the issue was is that Jesus was saying to Peter, you follow me. I have a particular path for you. And i like to suggest to you that there is a particular path for us. For all of us, a particular path. A particular specific path that he has called us to walk down. That if we walk this path, we'll get to Disney World. But this is the path we have to walk. Um, there are some commonalities on this path, however, and what I'd like to do for the remaining uh, the remaining 15 minutes is, is I would like to uh, talk about a couple of commonalities we have and then talk about a couple of specifics for me about what's part of my gospel. And the whole point of that, some of you may catch these, some of you may not, doesn't matter, but the whole point, and and this is what, what I would like you to come away with at the very end, if you come away with anything, is saying, okay, I get it, I'm destined for something greater than I can possibly imagine, and two, there's a path I need to walk to get there. Jesus, what's the path? What's the path? Show me the path. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. What's the path? And, and my encouragement then for you is going to begin to uh, encourage you to begin to really not only just think about that, but actually begin to document it. This is how God deals with me. These are the things that are part of my path. These are the common things that are true with everybody's path. These are the things that are very specific to me, that this is how the Lord deals with me. And this is good because this is what helps develop our relationship with him in a deeper way. <clears throat> so common thing number one, and that is to be an honest follower of Jesus. How many of you have hobbies? How many of you have a relationship with another human being? How many of you have a pet? Okay. All of those take time. Do you agree? Do you agree? A relationship with human beings take time. Pets take time. That's why we have them, right? Because they give us something. They, 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 they fulfill some aspect of our lives. Hobbies. Why do we have hobbies? Because it's something we enjoy. The commonality in all those is quality time. Is quality time. Unless you are experiencing quality time with Jesus, I think you have to question something. If you, are, if you are experiencing quality time with another human being, if you're experiencing quality time with a pet, if you're experiencing quality time with a hobby, if you are not experiencing quality time with Jesus, I think that's something that's missing. Okay, do you follow what I mean? Because that's the commonality. You, we have to remember that, unlike the Cathars, this is not a way of thinking. Christianity is not a way of thinking. Christianity is a relationship between us and somebody way huge. And it's that somebody way huge who wants to deal with us, wants to work with us, and we then in, need, in turn need to reciprocate and respond. I think a second commonality is the concept, and, and this is I'm going to say this is all I'm going to say about the concept of sin. There's so much more that could be talked about. Um, yes, you're right, GA. That's a magnificent uh, definition of, of sin. Susanna Wesley in a letter to her her uh, her son John. One of the founders of the Methodist uh, revival. Uh, great, great definition. I'm not going to go into it. But I'm going to just simply suggest this. One thing we have, one is a commonality of all this. We have to stop practicing sin. If there's something, if, there, if there's, a, if there's a, a, an itch that we just love to scratch, then we need to stop scratching it. We simply need to do that. Uh, that's a commonality. Um, and I think the Holy Spirit will speak to you If there is some particular sin in your life that you're just, you really like scratching it. Um, And then the Lord wants to deal with you on that. Holy Spirit will speak to you on that. And then you simply need to choose to stop doing that. That's, That's all I'll say about that. Here's the big commonality. And I think that if we get this, everything else doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. I am convinced that, for me, if I can become convinced that Jesus loves me, That's it. That's all I need. That's all I need. To be really, absolutely, 100%, thoroughly, totally, unequivocally convinced that Jesus loves me. I am not convinced of that. And I doubt any of you are either. I think we're on the road. I think we're on the road. But I think if we really were convinced, our lives would change and they would never be the same. They would never be the same. In what ways? I think we would thoroughly understand what it means to carry one's cross, we would thoroughly understand what it means to, to live as though we have no future outside of the future that Jesus has for us. Because that's really what, what the term carrying one's cross means. Remember that Jesus spoke that to people long before his death. He was using that as analogy for criminals who were walking through the streets of Jerusalem carrying their cross. That was the image. And the image there speaks of a human being who has no future. Outside of the future that someone else is giving him. You know, hopes for clemency, hopes that the, that the, that the uh, Roman rulers say, oh, we didn't mean it, we're not going to kill you. you know? but, but beyond that, he knows he has no future. He's not thinking to himself, well, you know, next week I think I'll go visit mom. He's not saying that. He's not thinking that. And I think that's the context of what Jesus is saying, carry your cross. Live as though you have no future outside of the future I have for you. Um, here's the biggest one, I think, in all of this. We tend to waste our sufferings. James got it right, and I don't understand all of this, when he said, Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, when it's had its complete work, will make you perfect, lacking in nothing. Graham Cook puts it this way. This is probably, this quote revolutionized my concept of this whole thing. If this is all you get out of this, I'll be thrilled. This is a Graham Cook quote. God allows in His wisdom what He could easily prevent by His power. How many times have you prayed for His power and you've got His wisdom? And His wisdom comes in the form of a suffering. His wisdom comes in the form of a challenge. And we know that that's how we grow. We know we don't grow when things are, are nice and happy, when we're doing fine. We know that we grow when things are crappy, when we're challenged when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're dealing with something. We know that's when God grows us up. We know that. But there are times, and there will be times in our lives, when we get his wisdom and not his power. I don't know why. No, I guess I do know why. Because he has his eyes on our destiny, not on our journey. But... Do you see, now if I see the destiny, if I see the, if I see the Disney World, then I can deal with running out of gas in the middle of Kentucky. <laughs> Do you see? I can handle that because I know I'll get gas at some point in time. I'm not going to be left along the side of the road forever. I may have to walk 10 miles to get to a gas station, okay, I may have to spend my, you know, a hundred bucks for a couple of gallons. I may. But I know I'll get, and I know I'll be back on the road, and I know I'll get there. I know I'll get there. So it changes how I perceive those sorts of things. I am convinced that's all part of understanding how Jesus loves me. Because it's, Jesus' love is not always going to feel happy. It's not always going to feel like the sun is out. It's not always going to feel that way. God allows in His wisdom what He could easily prevent by His power. Now, I'm just going to share with you one thing that, um, in my my personal path, and this is just one to encourage you to to just kind of get your own thinking going. Um, And that is the whole concept of living in the moment. This has been something that, that the Lord has spoken to me most recently, and it's, and it's like the last year, something like that, and it's something that that uh, is really good for me. Um, it's, it's really good for me to do. And these are concepts of living in the moment, behaving like a child, behaving like a child, um, learning how to trust. I mean we all know kids, right? And we all know the childlike behavior. Not childish behavior, but childlike behavior is, is, is enjoined in the scriptures. Um, willingness to be held. Willingness to be led without really asking. You know? Willingness to be told no when I don't understand the reason why. How many times have you been in a car with a 10-year-old sitting next to you and say, Dad, I really want to steer the car. Please, can I steer the car? Oh, come on, let me steer the car. And you're going, kid, <laughs> I want to live, you know. And so we say no, and the kid doesn't understand. That, you know, you give the the kid the wheel and, you know, they both crash and burn. He doesn't understand that. All he wants to know, he wants to do something that he can't do. Uh, So being willing to be told no when I don't understand what it means. Sleeping well at night. Little kids sleep well at night. Little kids sleep well at night. Unfortunately, some of us don't. Uh, Learning how to be oneself, not being who you think you are or who you want to be or who you think you ought to be. I think I know who I'd like to be. I know who I want to be, <laughs> I know who I should be, but that's not who I am. Who I am is who I am. And who I am is different than yesterday, and who I am is different than tomorrow. Uh, living in this moment <clears throat> is a magnificent quote that I don't think I'll time to uh, take the time to read in C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, screw Tape Letters. But I've come to believe that the Lord gives us grace for this moment in time. He is giving me grace he is giving me grace because he loves me. He loves me so much. He's going to save my butt right now. And then right now. And then right now. And he has grace for me now. He, he has not given me grace for this one. Now he has. But, yes, I don't have grace for tomorrow. I don't have grace for the next five minutes. I have grace for right now. Right now is where I have the grace. Right now is the moment where eternity intersects with my life. <clears throat> Lewis says this. He says that the past is frozen and no longer flows, and that the future is the least like eternity because it is filled with both hope and fear. And the enemy likes to, likes to feed off the concept of fear for our future. thats That is the moment least like eternity. But this moment right here is filled up with eternal rays this moment right here. This is where God meets me. He's not going to meet me there yet. Now he's meeting me. And the ability to stay right here is something I'm learning how to do. But this is something that it takes for me enormous amounts of energy. Enormous amounts of opportunities to concentrate. This is where I have grace. I don't have grace for five minutes. Lord, what am I going to do tomorrow? The Lord's response is, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow it will matter, but it doesn't matter today. So you kind of get the idea? That's something that's part of my gospel is the concept of living in the moment. That is something that is not natural for me to do. So in conclusion, I'd like to suggest to you that we all have paths. And it is our responsibility to have our our ears open to where the Lord has that path for us. It's kind of like... Uh, Keeping our eye on the ball allows us to have a better swing. Keeping our eye on the destiny allows us to walk the path with greater peace, greater rest, greater hope, greater all that kind of stuff. I think we, hopefully we all agree that uh, we are designed for something greater than we know. We are designed for a destiny much larger than we can possibly imagine. And I'd like to encourage you that the way to get there is individual for you, and you need to ask the Lord, Lord, what's my path? It's an issue of you following God. Now, obviously, there will always be commonalities, always, but they'll be very unique things. And so I'd like to finish with this particular quote, and and it it is in this this quote uh, from Lewis's uh, sermon, The Weight of Glory, that we will uh, then uh, have communion. So you guys can go ahead and get that started. And uh, <clears throat> when, uh, just as a as a uh, brief I- intro to this to this quote, and the first sentence, uh, Lewis is not suggesting, by a ma- stretch of the imagination, that we are divine, but that we have the nature within us. We have the divine nature. We ha- we are able to participate in the divine nature. So there's that's that's what he's talking about. This. It is a serious thing to live in a society of gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, culture, art, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So, Lord, um, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the greatness that you have prepared for us and perhaps more importantly, the greatness that you have prepared for the person sitting next to us. That the person sitting next to us is is great beyond our wildest imaginations and that the, the destiny of the person sitting next to us is something that if we understood what that person is going to be doing in a thousand years, whatever, we would be tempted to worship that person. It is so magnificent and so great. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to recognize that what we do here affects our destiny our, our hopes, our expectations. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to follow you better, to follow you more cleanly, more quickly, to respond to you more quickly, to see your love, especially in the darkest days, to see your love and to see your wisdom, especially when we don't see your power. But we are very thankful for your power. Oh my word! We are thankful for your power, and we are thankful for the days and the times that we see your power. So Jesus, just wrap all of this up. I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit, that you would, you, you would do your work in our lives, that you would move us as uh, as you desire, closer and closer to you. So stand, prepare our hearts. Jesus, we do communion in memory of you. We do this act in memory of you. We don't entirely know everything that it means. We know that it's important. We know that people have suffered loss by not doing it correctly. We know that it has something to do with us and it has something to do with the person sitting next to us. And we know it has something to do with you and your blood. And the fact that you love us so much that you died for us. And you shed your blood. We are so thankful for this new covenant. And then as we, as we finish this meeting, Jesus, and as we share this, this new covenant with you, we ask that you would do all these things for us. And we do this in your power, in your authority, and as representatives of who you are.